This episode is powered by Safety FM. Welcome to the Safety Consultant Podcast. I am your host, Sheldon Primus. This is the podcast where I teach you the business of being a safety consultant. And I am back. It is December 5th, 2021. And I have been on hiatus for the last two weeks after the U.S. Thanksgiving. And I just want to thank everybody for hanging in there with me. Had a whole bunch of stuff come up with uh, just life stuff. So I wanted to take the two weeks off and get all that stuff where we were able to handle that. So now I am back and I have an incredible interview with you guys. This week we're going to be talking to Mr. Phil LaDuke himself. He is the author of I Know My Shoes Are Untied, Mind Your Own Business. Lone Gunman of Rewriting the Handbook on Workplace Violence Prevention. Then his new book, Blood in My Pockets is Blood on Your Hands. And this is a better approach to worker safety. In this episode, since the Alec Baldwin tragedy that happened, I was the first person I thought about and even texted on the day when the news came out was Mr. Phil LaDuke, because that's actually his part of safety. Not only is he a speaker and a writer, and we're talking about writing, I mean, prolific writing. This man can write. <laughs> if you have not seen any of his articles in business journals like Entrepreneur uh, Magazine and Thrive Global and all the other places that he's uh, written for, then you've been like living under a rock. The man is like prolific in his writing. But he also is a safety consultant for those in the movies. So I just thought, hey, let me give him a call and uh, see if you want to talk to us a little bit about some of the safety features that you would see there and uh, his take on what happened. And then also we talked a lot about uh, what we do, writing and safety consulting and the safety world is now. So uh, it's going to be a very comprehensive interview. So you only have me talking to you right now. I'm not going to come back with any other thing after the interview. So I'm going to wish you guys a wonderful rest of the week. Go get them. Well, I, um, I, am I catching you like just before you launch your new, well, two books? I, I don't know how you could even think about doing that two books at the same time, but are you... Um, Pre-launch? Yeah, um, not quite pre-launch. I've, uh, well, how it got started was I was going to write, my second book was supposed to be Blood on My Hands. Um, blood in My Pockets is Blood on Your Hands. And my um, my publisher is sort of the straight, laced, very business-like, very linear thinker. Got great ideas, very creative, but a linear thinker and more of a project manager. Yeah. My publicist is part is her partner, and she's all over the board. So she calls me up one day and says, well, what do you know about 
uh, workplace violence. And I said, well, it's been a while since I perpetrated any. And uh, she said, no, we, we need to get a book out on that. Well, as it happened, I used to work for a company where we had within two months, two cases of fatal workplace attacks, but neither one of them was in the workplace. One waited for one guy waited for his estranged wife to pull out of the parking lot, pulled up next to her and shot her four times in the head. Wow. Another one unrelated to that. Um, the first was in Kentucky. The second was in Georgia. Um, same kind of thing. His wife was, um, divorcing him and he thought she was cheating. She went out for a drink with a couple of coworkers, but rode with one guy in particular. When they got out of the car, he shot them both dead. <laughs> so our CEO, you are going to become an expert on how we prevent workplace violence prevention. So that's, that became, um, uh, the lone gunman. So then I got back to, I had almost finished blood in my hands, uh, blood in my pockets is blood on your hands. And um, so that came out shortly after we spaced it a little bit. And the next book was supposed to be um, Loving an Attic, my ex-wife and the mother of my daughter and um, my my half-daughters, I call her. She's my um, daughter's half-sister, um, died of a heroin overdose. And I'd been divorced from her for 30 years, but it's one of those things where I felt it reflected on me that I had a person in my family who died of a drug overdose. Of course it doesn't, but you know how judgy people can be. Mm -hmm. And my thinking was, no, I, I mean, people think this is, a inner city poor black problem and it is a affluent suburban white problem and oh, like yeah. dave Paul said and i'll clean it up for for yeah you don't have to i'll find <laughs> you, you say whatever you want i'm good i just put out a little little sticker and then a little take and then that we're fine say what you want i'm good so dave Chappelle said and one of his stand-ups, he's talking about the horribleness of the opioid epidemic. He said, I really relate about or relate to white people on this because they didn't give a shit about uh, the uh, crack epidemic. And I don't give a fuck about their opioid epidemic. Yeah. And and I just got tired of hearing people say, oh, it was the weirdest thing. My 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 girlfriend at work's nephew 36 years old, died of a heart attack. I just want to scream, yeah, that's what happened when you pump enough fucking heroin through your heart. You know, hey, you, natural you consequences. <laughs> and I just don't, and I talk about a lot of unpopular things in all my books. Um, but it, was that where the moniker um, safety malcontent came from, or was that just, uh, you know, how did that, how did that develop? Well, safety is pretty screwed up. I came out of organizational development where you had scientific method was the backbone of this because people were suspicious of organizational development. Mm 
even of training. And it wasn't until Deming's rules that said, hey, you got to have training. You got to train these people. Until people started to adopt it and they had to get certified or their customers wouldn't accept them as vendors. So yeah. while they thought they had to do it, it immediately started to make things better. Safety, all they know is OSHA came out and now they have to do this thing called safety. And I've met so many people who don't do it well. So many no. people who study it from afar and safety isn't a thing. Um, oh, geez. You're on a blank on his name, but um, Ron uh, Gantz, Ron Gantz. Um, we all, a bunch of us contributed to 1% Safer, which is um, billed as they brought the 100 and there was going to be 150 greatest thinkers on performance improvement and safety and get us together and each write a chapter of a book. Huh, okay. Well, um, the one I liked the best wasn't my own. Um, it was Ron's. It's about the backup cameras you have in, t uh, in uh, cars now. Mm -hmm. And the first thing it says is, look around for safety. And he said, so I looked around for safety. I didn't see any, and I kept going. <laughs> and I've been preaching for, you know, it's like the blind leading the stupid. Um, I've been re preaching to people that we don't need to redo everything to do safety. We need to take the critical few, get that right. And we've got some pretty soft-headed imbeciles working on safety. And they said, you know, they come up with an idea. Mm -hmm. They're going to fix the barn up like a theater and put on a play. And yes. it's like, no, you, you just, there's, this isn't, this isn't that hard. And People call me angry. No, I just have a very short um, tolerance, oh, maybe. Oh, tolerance for stupidity, especially the obstinately stupid, the people that are proud that they're stupid. I bought a self-published book. I didn't know it was self-published because Amazon should put a warning label on there. But I'm reading it on a plane. And I really wanted to get this guy's perspective. Mm -hmm. and I said, well, I didn't go anywhere fancy university. I learned everything I know by working on the shop floor. The first page, now I'm notorious for having typos in my stuff, but the first page was so rife with, with disconnected ideas and things like this. It's like, I put it in the, um, the flap. Mm -hmm. so this can be some problem. And I thought, nope. <laughs> it's I not even coming back with you. <laughs> No, no. I said, anything you wish to discard. I took it. I tore it down the, the, <sighs> the back of the book and threw it away. So she goes, wow. must have hated book. But it was gibberish. But we not only um, tolerate gibberish, we promulgate gibberish. No, we, we institutionalize gibberish. We make it to such a degree that to get out of the gibberish, you're going to have to do some hoops and ladders and shoots and all that to get out of the stupidness. Yes. So we say this must be I wrote a, uh, early in my writing career. I wrote an article called why we don't follow the rules. I was, <laughs> 
my first work, that was the first thing I had I'd written. No, my first thing, first thing I wrote and was for publication was um, what's wrong with safety training and how to fix it. And it talked about measurable, observable um, objectives, training it, just-in-time training. You know, it was pretty forward-thinking for, for most people in safety. That landed me a columnist job for the, um, I, I think it's bigger than Playboy or GQ. It's uh, uh, Metalworking and Fabricating Magazine. Okay. And uh, yeah, nobody's nobody's heard of it. No, no, no. But Actually, I have not. I'm not even going to play. <laughs> I have not. Yeah. It's a small. It was a small um, um, trade publication. Yeah. But then it started to balloon up. I got this fan base from this, and my boss told me that um, I had to write a blog, and I said, no. And he said, yes, you do. And I said, no, I don't. <laughs> uh, so we went back and forth and I said, I'll do, okay, I'll do it. I said, he goes, well, why, what's your problem with blogs? I said, they're self-indulgent crap. They're for people who can't get published. They're for 13-year-old girls to tell the world who the cute boys are. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be part of this world. And... Um, but since I got involved, so I started writing this, but I'm writing what I want, when I want, how I want. In the flair that you want, because you're just all right and you're pro- prolific on writing. And then not only are you prolific on writing, but your flair and your copy. And I'm, I'm one of these people that has to deal with copy a lot. And I normally see uh, heading uh, headlines on copy that don't bore you midway through reading it. And yours is like, oh, shit, I got to read what Phil just did yeah. <laughs> and every time. And you catch us with uh, with these, you know, these, if you were um, uh, cliff hangers or, or something where you, you would uh, even when with your with your one um, blog post of still asking if you're relevant, you know, that that hit people like, hold on. Did he just say that? <laughs> is he still asking? Is he asking everyone? Is he still relevant? And, you know, you, you have a way with with writing that is a gift it is truly a gift i appreciate that i made a commitment though um to myself that i was no longer going to write anything and once a week i have a blog i have my own deadline i said i'm not going to write anything unless i have something to say which makes sense right Except yeah. that's the worst thing you can do with a whether it be a blog or podcast or television program, whatever is your audience needs to be able to say, okay, Saturday at noon, the new whatever comes out. Yeah. And I would rather I'd rather put out something I care about than just put out something that's crap. And I wish there were more people that would do that. <laughs> <laughs> are you trying to say like there's too much crap out there go ahead uh, there's too much stuff out of too much crap out of scott geller as one person for the entire industry <laughs> we're not only going with too much shit but we're now we're saying it's scott geller shit <laughs> so we're going yeah. even deeper <laughs> and, 
and you know, people just just absorb this stuff like a sponge, and nobody checks anyone's reference uh, references. Um, Alan Quilly uh, um, just uh, Quilly just died. He was good for checking people's uh, references and saying, "No, you're, that's not what the data says." Um, there's been a handful of others uh, early in safety that would embrace the scientific method. Now it's just the wild west, and we yeah. live in the Facebook generation. I've started the hashtag Jail Zuckerberg, which Ooh, I'm nice. very excited about. Get the dot yeah, com I, right now. Go for it. I I I put Jail Zuckerberg on just about anything. Um, I do, and then he started putting erectile dysfunction ads on my page. So, oh man, that is, isn't that funny? Hold, I just want to like grab that thought real quick. So let's say that um, that uh, on on the broad spectrum, and this is our whole society, and I believe this goes to the root of of the stability stupidity in every industry. But even that that. Um, targeting. So if you got nailed or jailed Zuckerberg, but yet they target something that specifically to be like, you know, a jab at you or something similar, look at what they're doing on that level. I'm just thinking, why would you lob me up softballs or beat my <laughs> stuff, man? <laughs> because because I, Mark, Mark Zuckerberg recommends it. How can how can it steer you wrong? Oh, awesome, nice. See, this person, this poor person, started you know an ad, and now I've got things on there continually every day. I they post it on my board, and every day on my wall, every day I say something like, "I've been eating these things like M and M's, and I'm so hard I can drive nails." And, uh, <laughs> oh wow! And, and it's, one brand it's like five different i used to get el pollo loco on my face every day because i love el pollo loco although i speak a little spanish and i want to send send it out to all the people who eat it el pollo loco the chicken is not crazy the chicken acts that way because it's sick don't eat those chicken (laughs) it's overexposed to something (laughs) It's probably, it's either a fungus. I've watched house. You know, yeah. kind of that. <laughs> That's right. It's overexposure. Come on. Hysteria. Don't, don't. But no, I'd love El Pollo Loco. And, uh, um, That's funny that they targeted you with that. <laughs> but you know, I don't know that they did because, but I mean, they put me um, in Facebook jail because I posted, um, you know, uh, boy, that really, you know, that just really hits you on the head. And they they suspended me from posting for seven days because they said it was promoting violence. Ah, uh, they so did now, the literal thing. So, yeah, because, well, I don't know if you've ever been in uh, trouble with uh, Facebook, but they, they do this. You can appeal it, which they automatically come back. Nope, it meets our, our um, standards. And then you can appeal that. Now, the first two appeals are artificial intelligence, which one could say, I believe Mark Zuckerberg is artificial intelligence. 
But if I post that, I would get the warning, um, misleading information because there's no proof that Mark Zuckerberg is intelligent. And so I don't want I, I don't want to put that label on there. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but, <laughs> there's but, none at all. Uh, I, is, independent of the wilder stuff I post on my blog or in my books. I mean, there's nothing like this. So apparently in his twisted, friendless world, mm-hmm. um, you can destabilize African countries. You can interfere with, allow people to interfere with the U.S. election. But you can't say, boy, that really hits you in the head. But even but in this process, they said, you can appeal it again, but we won't, we probably won't look at it because we don't have enough employees to look at your appeal. Oh, wow. So are you, are you like indefinitely in purgatory or what's, what's happening? I'm still, they let me out and uh, yeah, okay. I started the Zuckerberg campaign and they, they don't. They I'll learn them. They'll learn them right there. Now, I, I kind of hear what your, your original thought was. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Of course, I think clean this up. I, I always say first rule of screwing with someone is know who you're screwing with. And they didn't obviously know that. There you go. Uh, well, sorry for hearing you. I, I think we got a, like a delay because I, I heard that again too, like a little delay. So I, I'll make sure I, I give myself a little bit of a gap for you. Uh, yeah, but yeah, you, you got to go easy on the peyote. I found anything over three buttons. It all just right. messes with somebody to be on. on a so two point eight eight. And it, it, it's that threshold. I mean, it's different. It, it's kind of different according to your body weight and your body. You know chemistry, but just as a general rule, probably two point eight eight is probably a good all right. stopping point. All right, I'll, I'll note to self: note to, <laughs> slow down on peyote. <laughs> How do you spell that? <laughs> I'll do it phonetically: p a y o t e. P y o t e. Was I? Oh, look at that. Wow. Now for uh, your whole thought about how, you know, the, the industry, the safety industry, we throw up any kinds of facts we want. I was talking to someone today about, um, you know, they're, they're wondering about uh, what the COVID thing is going to look like with OSHA when that comes out. And I was kind of explaining a few things and he just went to conspiracy land against vaccines and against masking and all that. And the root cause to that to me, Seemed and this is someone that I, I think is quality and safety, but I think that uh, we've since we got away from the old school of vetting things, and this is society wise, and I think it's the root cause of social media and consumption of easy consumption that no one wants to go back and look for peer reviewed material anymore. I, I kind of like uh, your way of doing that. When you have the president of the United States coming out saying this is all a hoax inject you know chlorine bleach into yourself um there's a lot of stupid people out there and there's a lot of sheeple and there's also a lot of things that they did flat ass wrong with covid number one and we all know this in safety number one communicate 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 they didn't 
He created this invisible enemy that was going to stalk you and kill you. I was very anti-mask when it was first proposed that this was an airborne illness. I had a friend. Well, why shouldn't everyone wear a mask? I said, because a virus is so tiny that wearing a mask for an airborne illness is like trying to keep mosquitoes out with chicken wire. It's not going to work. Then they changed it and said, well, it's not an airborne. It's on the droplets in the air. Well, that makes a big difference because that droplets are lighter than a virus. And it can't go that far. Now, this virus doesn't, when they thought it was airborne, it falls down on the floor. I go by the five-minute rule. You know, if it's been down on there for less than five minutes, I can eat it. Uh, but, uh, no, seriously. Five minutes. All right. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, the idea that you can catch, now they know the odds. Now, I sit on six biomedical oversight boards recombinant DNA. I love being the dumbest guy in the room. I represent the community, which by federal law, you have to have two voting members who represent the community. So I listened to, now I was always in, I've never, science has never been my strong suit because math isn't, and you get high enough in science, you got to know calculus. I plea bargained my way out of, uh, into, uh, into a passing grade by agreeing never to take math at Monroe County Community College ever again. Uh, Rochester? No, Monroe, uh, Monroe, Michigan. Oh, okay. And, uh, and I'm glad I did. And I, I, so science is never my strong point. But what I love about this is it's like getting a science, a semester of science in a one-hour meeting. Because I always thought, well, a virologist could talk to a biologist who can talk to, you know, a chemist who can talk to a veterinarian. No, they all have their own lexicon and their own um, nomenclatures. Nomenclatures. So they have to dumb it down to the point where everyone in the room understands it. And it's great because we we get the information before the CDC politicizes it. And the who gets it, and we get the the actual results that, that are coming in. And we can ask the virologists and say, hey, you know, how serious is this? I never heard of this man curse, but when he first heard about it, which was about, eh, well, it, when it was known that they couldn't keep it a secret, he found out about it, and he said, if this gets over here, we're bleeped. Mm-hmm. And I said, what? He said, yeah. He said, this thing, this is going to spread like wildfire and it's going to be a catastrophe. Well, and it turned out that people didn't act fast enough and people can point to this person or that person. But back to how the CDC failed. Number one, they didn't communicate properly. Gather your facts. Mark Twain once said, get the facts. You can distort them later. And I always love that because I, I use it in a class on on uh, problem solving. Now, gather your facts first. 
tell it, find out what that means. And then do that. In the meantime, until you have your facts, so you don't until you know whether or not it's airborne or droplet borne or blood borne, seal the border off from the com- countries that are coming in. Yeah. Um, you know, there's been other presidents who have had far greater uh, things like Ebola, um, Bill Clinton, George Bush, and Barack Obama. So it, it goes across the uh, thing. All had cases were, that could have turned into an Ebola outbreak in the United States. But the first thing they did is shut down the airports from the places that had the outbreak. But so we didn't communicate it. Yeah. Didn't act. And when we did act, we made it optional. You know, in Michigan, it's like, well, we're going to have an executive order, but we're not going to enforce it. Now, think back to when you were a teenager, if your parents said, okay, here are the rules that we expect you to live by. If you live under my roof, you're going to follow these rules, but we are not going to enforce it. Oh, we already all know a family in our brain, best friends or whoever, where their kids are running amok. And we all know that they have rules, but they never enforce them. We all know those people. So that's what happened. Yeah. And, you know, with, with here, they, and then they and then became a political symbol. If you wore a mask, you were this. If you didn't wear a mask, you were this. And it's ridiculous. We've lived <laughs> within this country. The, the fact that you can't walk into stores without shoes on. You can't walk into shoe, a, a restaurant with no shirt, shirt on. on. Yeah, yeah. No shoes, no service. We grew up with that. I mean, for my entire life, I knew that. Now, there's some, there are some uh, areas like the beach communities where, that, you know, they'll, they'll let you come in to a convenience store without shoes on or a shirt. But. By and large, most of us throughout the United States have lived with that. We live with other rules. We learned that you, you know you don't talk in class. I never quite learned that rule, but but you know if you did, you suffered the consequences. So why uh, people? Now the the question for for those in safety and especially with that conversation in this moment right now, when uh, the Biden administration says that. Uh, you're going to have a choice of two things. One is the actually vaccination, unless it's military contract, and then you must. But I mean, into the general public where you're going to have, uh, or I should say OSHA's jurisdiction, where you have to have where it is either the vaccine or the weekly testing. I have a problem with the weekly testing because I'm thinking if the hazard that you're telling us uh, CDC, what is it, 15 minutes, six feet of transmission or within a 24-hour period, um, then that's exposure. So if you're telling that's exposure, and then why aren't we testing more? I actually think that once a week is too lax. Why? And then the other part of that is is truly the vaccine. Yeah, you're supposed to. That's that's my my idea. But Safety right now, you're, you have safety officers that are that are allowing owners not to vaccinate for political reasons. What's what's the disconnect? Why aren't they seeing a hazard exposure, hazard control? Okay. Well, I'm a consultant to the film industry, but 
in high school, I took a class in mass media. And they talked about one thing that I took out one thing out of high school that I still think about. And it's if you're making a horror movie and you make it so scary, you don't add any comic relief. You build so much tension. It's like a, a switch flicks in people's heads and disbelief sets in. And so this is so scary, especially before we had a vaccine. So scary that people would say, oh, this doesn't exist. It's just the flu. I said it was just the flu because at first it, though, that's the way it looked. Poor communication. But my stepmom died of uh, of COVID. But she was really old. And, you know, I don't know. Sorry, all you old people listen to podcasts. Uh, but, uh, um, you know, when a 98-year-old dies, I don't say, oh, my God, that's so terrible. Were they ill? I figure anything over 90, you get up in the morning. That's a gift. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're, you're at the twilight of, of uh, you're, you're in your twilight years. So, um, but I know a lot of people who've been affected by it personally. Half my family are vaccinated and are pro-vaccinations. The other half are anti. Um, but I'm not a constitutional scholar. But I know this, I had in government class, I had to learn the preamble to the Constitution. And in the Constitution, it says promote the general welfare of the people. That gives the government the right to do this. Because if, if I'm vaccinated, you're not vaccinated, I pose a threat to you. You don't pose the threat to me. I'll get it, but it'll be a much milder case. The masking really is important for people who have been vaccinated so that they don't, there's people with lupus, um, other immuno um, deficiencies where they can't get this. Yeah. So we, ha we owe it to them. As far as safety people who are allowing owners to do that, why don't they just let the, the owners come through with a bullwhip and beat the people? Why don't they just let the, why don't they let the, the owners just set a person on fire to, for fun? I mean, that's the kind of stupidity I'm asking. I, I mean, I'm, I'm questioning. Um, you're not doing your job. If OSHA says this, well, what, am I, what if I get fired? Yeah, that would really suck. You're going to get fired from a job where they ask you to put people's lives at risk. But you're, put inter you're interjecting your politics into people's lives. And I'm against that. Yeah. So I, I really think that, that uh, those people should take a hard look at whether or not they should work in safety. And, uh, it's, it's more than, there's a lot less power in safety than people think they have. And once telling, and they said, well, what happens if I don't follow the rules? I said, I don't care. I said, I ain't your mama. I ain't your boss. 
I don't even like you. If you don't do what I'm what I'm suggesting you should be doing and you fall to your death, I'm still going to go home, have a good meal and sleep well. I said, but I can't have you undermining what I'm saying to the people who don't want to die. And uh, so I said, so if I'm if I represent your father or some authority figure in your life, deal with it. But I'm just telling you what our protocols are. The protocols are to prevent you from putting yourself at risk. My job is not to save lives. My job is to provide people the information they need to save their own lives. Now, that yeah. might just sound like a lot of hyperbole. But I say that because if a safety person can get that through their thick head, that they're not a mother hen, that they're not a policeman, that they're there to provide information so that people can make smarter choices to save their own lives. You approach safety completely differently. You start to, to I didn't get a genuine, Did you, you, try? you get a genuine uh, connection with people. Mm -hmm. And I get people like on, on movie sets where they'll start out and they'll either hide or they'll give me the stink eye. Yeah. And when I tell them, I said, you know, I'm a different kind of safety. I'm not the guy who's on your back. I'm the guy who has your back. So if you, I said, I'm a direct line to the studio. So if there's something that you want corrected, you tell me, I tell my boss and it's done. Or you can go to your boss or your union steward and you can go through this layer, this layer, this layer. So I don't care. I just want to make sure that you not only that you are minimizing your risk, but that you feel safety. Because the quickest way to get hurt is to not feel safe, to feel unsure of yourself. Mm -hmm. Now, you're afraid of, don't climb to the top of a building. You know, you're going to. Yeah, you're asking you're for it at that point, right? Because you're you already have a whole bunch of things set up against you that you're willing to overlook. And then when you get in that position, you've locked yourself into a result that may have been predictable if you acted earlier by not putting yourself in that position. Mm -hmm. But then that goes down the whole line. You know, what did the supervisor ask of you at that time, at that moment that you made that decision? And then you get context to that person's decision. But uh, I had another uh, thought that that came up, and uh, now that we've we've started to get some more release and information on the the Alec Baldwin thing, I know you're not responsible for that uh, that set, but I would imagine if you guys in the industry are doing some sort of learning team or some sort of lessons learned from this, uh, is this one of those things where? There's enough lessons learned and people were just so hardcore breaking the rules that they're they're into where litigation needs to happen. And and this is so far off the norm that we as outsiders don't think that this guy's really broke the rules. Or is this some tweaking in there that you, you think you can learn from in a learning team setting? Uh, what would you what would you do if you're facilitating a learning team regarding this issue? Well, first of all. We're doing exactly what we usually do. 
in safety. We do a, we're going to do an um, incident investigation. So where do we do it? In a conference room. I mean, we they need to be looking at this. A um, couple of things that I find troubling. Uh, one, and uh, let me let me let me jump back. I think it's important to know a little bit about how the industry works. Let's say you and I say we we get a we write a screenplay because everyone everybody's too lazy to write a book nowadays and they write screenplays. So we write a screenplay. We think this yeah. thing is just great, and then we find some lottery winner who says this is great. Let's I I'll give you a, a hundred thousand dollars to produce this. So, um. We get somebody interested in it, get a uh, director interested in it, and we get somebody with some Hollywood Connections uh, producer interested in it. And then that, that those people hire a couple more people. They form a production company. They go to a studio, and then they say, studio, here's what we have. And it is just like you've seen in the movies and on television. You need to break it down. To like, this is Godzilla meets Breakfast at Tiffany's. And then you have about <laughs> 30 seconds to give them the gist of it. If they're yeah. interested, they'll want more and they'll say, hey, sounds great. We're going to give you X amount of money and our insurance carrier will insure you because we're basically, you know, vouching for you. Yeah. So, the production company is its own LLC, Limited Liable Corp, uh, Corporation. And they're answerable to the studio because the studio can always say, sorry, we're pulling the money. Sorry, the insurance won't, they won't cover you. So, so that lottery money that we, we, get, we scraped together, we've, we paid people out, we've formed this stuff, all that stuff gets flushed down the toilet. Wow. Unless we another studio which word is usually out everybody knows each other so usually uh the word is out that it's been flushed on one or if it's been approved it's greenlit this company was a alec baldwin was one of the producers what a producer does is finance and they hire people they're the big boss when you have something that's a complete independent, not all indies are, are like you think. Oh, they're an indie, so they have no studio connection. I think all the major studios and certainly the, uh, the streaming services have a division for indies. Well, they so they give, you know, can have big backing then. They can have big backing. It's usually not big backing, but they can have oversight, and that's important. Okay. This was... A group of people, Alec Baldwin being one of them, who pooled their money and decided to make a really low-budget Western. Strike one. And there's a red flag right there. So then they have an, a weapons person, um, armor, um, props person. Uh, this was not a prop gun. A prop gun is typically a bright rubber 
um, exact copy of a gun. I went through some training when I was doing some work on, on a film and I had to have a 15 minute orientation on a bright blue rubber gun. No kidding. And it's blue as well. Yes. There's no mistaking it for a real gun. Hmm. It's, and they said, okay, here you hand it to, when you hand it to a person, you hand it butt first and away pointing away from your body toward the ground so you don't accidentally shoot someone before the last thing that the the person that gives you the gun does is check if it's a automatic they check the cartridge and they check the chamber to make sure that there it, it is an unloaded gun the bullets should be appropriately marked such that they're um, either blanks, blanks fire a uh, cartridge with no projectile. It'll still shoot the wadding and black powder out about three feet, enough to kill someone. So you, you treat that like a real gun. Then they have others that have, are, have nothing inside them. They have a BB so you can shake it and hear that there's nothing, no uh, black powder in it. Okay. Those are close-ups. You know, you'll see... Uh, Quentin Tarantino used to love to do the close-up of a gun so you could see in the cylinder, you could see that there was a, a uh, slug in there. Mm-hmm. When Brandon uh, Lee died, it was because they had pulled out one of those prop uh, bullets that, that that had a point on it, but no black powder. It pulled out in the gun. They pulled a blank, they put it in, and now it became a real bullet, a working bullet. Foreseeable? Yeah, maybe, but that really was one of those one in a million um, chances. Wow. In this, they have, I don't know, I've never worked, and I've worked on films since 2010, 2011, and I've never been on uh, set where they kept live ammunition on huh. on set. They just don't. They, there's no need for it. Um, the only ones who have live ammunition are the security guards and the cops, the actual cops, not the ones yeah. pretending. <laughs> um, not the ones playing and, on TV. <laughs> right. And uh, so strike one. Yeah. Or strike two. Uh, strike three. Prior to this, the weekend, they had crew members who were practicing target practice. Sorry, I'm having trouble hearing you. All right, you can go into the drawer. If those listening, that's my child. Um, <laughs> except turn, they get put in the drawer. If you start them from birth, you start They're um, used to it by now, right? They're used to it. And you'd think they would learn their lesson. You'd think they would talk Says a man them. with three girls. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they were they were shooting at beer cans. Now, are you familiar with beer cans? Oh yeah. Okay. So what what typically before it's empty? What is typically contained in a beer can? That's right. It's got some liquid in there. Some liquid gold. <laughs> And 
What do you think? What do you suppose immediately preceded them? Now I don't know this, but I'm speculating. But what do you think immediately preceded them shooting at at beer cans? Hold my bear. (laughs) (laughs) Bear. So, but okay. But think of let's think of it out of a different and through the lens of a different industry. What if you're working construction and you decide that? You've had a couple of beers, and you decide you're going to race the forklifts or the fork trucks, or you're going to let's make them bulldozers. Bulldozers aren't trademarked. Uh, yeah, there you go. So, so bulldozers. We're going to we're going to race. We're going to do um, a five mile race of the bulldozers. Bulldozers are dirty. Yes, and nobody would. Nobody in their right mind would allow that. And in fact, when they're not used, they're typically secured so that they, I mean, this was coming off a weekend. Yeah. So, so clearly these guns were not locked up. And people were like, oh my goodness, how could they find, where, where did this live ammo come from? Well, it's New Mexico. It's a ranch. How hard do you think it is to find 45 rounds Yes. I like this beer and these cartridges, please. I mean, yeah. it's this is had, had it not resulted in the death of this woman, it would be funny how ridiculous. If you made a movie of this, no one would believe it because they'd say, "There's no way they're going to let them play with those guns." play cowboys by shooting at beer cans on the weekend. Then, so let's call that strike three through eight. Yeah, yeah. Then, the, so the guns, uh, the um, um, assistant director had been on, was hired even though he had been on other films where people... There were, they just called them firearms incidents. I don't think you, you hire someone like that. I mean, you know, just, yeah. just, just like you don't, you don't choose the Uber driver who's been, who's on probation for drunk driving. Maybe yeah. you just maybe wait five minutes and choose the next one. <laughs> but it wasn't like that. So then I have a problem with who this woman was. Not who she was as a person, but what was her role? Cinematographer. Cinematographer. She was the camera operator. She was the chief photography. Okay, these things, these are roles that, that while they're not mutually exclusive, you typically don't have one person doing all three of them. There's enough of a full time job. I don't know. There's been a lot of uh, uh, official photographers that uh, um, I, I wouldn't think they they would need somebody full time um, for that. But yeah, but typically they have them. And do you think a, that, uh, do you think that this is um, um, more of a, a 
Well, I, I hate, I know when we do our instant investigations, we don't look for culpability and we want to make sure that we're, we're looking at it holistically, but do you think that this is a failure um, with a root cause that is twofold? One, the actors themselves that are the capital, they're willing to cut corners to get some set of um, executive producer or, or whatever it is. And then there's no shortage of low budget people that want this break. So maybe that might be a catalyst or, or, or to say an underlining factor. And then the other one is uh, who now is the oversight. I know for OSHA, um, if I'm remembering the 1904 uh, in the record keeping in uh, subpart B, appendix A in subpart B has a list and that chart list has motion picture that are exempt regardless of size for record keeping. So now this two things but up against each other, could this be a root cause or, or at least a, a significant component of root cause? Well, I got my ass handed to me um, for citing that um, years ago. When OSHA was conceived, they exempted uh, maritime because maritime rules and regu regulations still exceed and are more strict than OSHA. So they weren't going to say, you know what, you can dial that back. Agriculture, because nobody cares if an agricultural worker dies. That's just extra. I mean, come on, we have these listeria epidemics because they're making them crap in the spinach. You know, they, they don't afford, but uh, I wow. grew up on a farm. Yeah, I'm picking up agricultural workers, but I am, you know, I grew up on a farm and I'm here to tell you, they exempted it because the thought was, well, these are family business. Yeah. Like a mafia family. Conagra is huge. <laughs> Burning farms are, is huge. Yeah. Um, I just want to make a point. I don't know if you've seen the commercial about the, uh, um, the, the, it's a supposedly a work fair and they're saying, uh, 73% of chickens are fed bone, bone meal, blood, and other chicken byproducts. And people are, and every time that happens, I'm going to have it talking to the TV. And I said, lucky fucking chickens. And <laughs> so my wife, you know what happened to the other 23, the other 27%? They ground them up to feed the chickens. <laughs> That's animal. I raised them. I don't even like eating chicken but i order it in restaurants just to know that another one of those filthy little bastards is dead <laughs> by cannibalism he's like they are they're cannibals that's why people you know the pecking order we'd have mm. to if one of them was bleeding, we'd have to catch the little bastard i mean there's there is some parallel between the vaccinations and chickens here all right chicken i got it hold on i gotta hear that one a chicken, a chicken has a sore on it and bleeding. The other chickens will peck at that sore and peck it to death and eat the carcass. So you're going to run around check, uh, chasing this chicken that is violently resisting you trying to save its life. You put the tar on there and it's fine. And now you got people running around chasing people to get them vaccinated. Yeah. 
And these people who won't, who'll, who'll slop down five McRibs won't do that because I don't know what they're putting in that thing. I don't want that in my body. <laughs> or they don't want to be tracked. And how ridiculous is that? And then here they are with their phones everywhere they go. If the CIA is putting a chip in me, all I ask is put it, connect it to an app on my phone. So when I get lost, yeah. I can then <laughs> hit a button. The CIA says, uh, you, you're on the wrong. You, you need the street over, Phil. I, that would be wonderful. But yeah, there you go. What's with these people that think that they, I, I just love the dichotomy we live in. It's so surreal. These people will say, I don't want them putting a chip in me. I don't want them knowing my personal information. I don't want them spying on me. By the way, on Facebook, what's your favorite? What was <laughs> your pet as a child? So I've taken again to putting answering most of those kind of goofy, you know, yeah. apparently fun questions with I'm sorry, Mr. Zuckerberg, that information is not for sale. <laughs> Hashtag and jail Zuckerberg. Uh, well, I, I think, and here's my honest opinion, and, and this is maybe a little flippant. I don't know, but here is here it goes, right? I'm going to tell you, Phil. Don't tell anyone else, okay? It's a, lips are sealed. <laughs> so uh, both are right. How's that? So the vaxxers and the non-vaxxers, we need both to be right. So if the non-vaxxers vaxxers are saying that um, the reason why they're not doing this is because the second and third and fourth generation are to come out with four eyes. All right. Well, the 20 or 30 percent of you, when that time comes around, then, OK, you saved us. <laughs> you, you, we Thank you. You saved us. But for us who are, you know, vaccinated or whatever, we're doing it for the immediate. We want to we want to live now. We don't care about the second in this. You know what the short term's effect are? A cough. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we're saving them. <laughs> you don't want to you don't want to get vaccinated? Great. I don't have to pay for your ventilator. You don't get a hospital bed. We save those for people who did try to. You're the now. Chicken now you are ass. stirring some Run serious shit. <laughs> You're the bloody ass running away from me, so I can't save your life. Uh, I just interviewed Howard Light, and uh, Howard Light, the, the guy who created the, the bell-shaped earplugs and everything. So I just finished his, and he pushed back on the interview a little because he was injured, and he got injured, and he was in pain for five weeks because in his area in California, there was such a influx in in, uh, in the hospitals influx of coronavirus patients that he couldn't get his stuff done, and it took him five weeks to actually get some pain relief. So. In in saying that, it is probably not going to be something people would like, but I think that should be one of the intake questions. Are you vaccinated? And if not, when it's life saving decisions, that goes as a as an actual point system. And now, you know, I would rate someone who is vaccinated higher than someone not. And that's even in beds as who goes into this hospital bed. And at that point, what does that make me? Because now you're thinking the Hippocratic Oath and everything else. Doesn't that go both ways for vaccinated and unvaccinated? They both need help. Shouldn't that be the divider? Well, they both say so, um, it's the concept of triage. Who's going to die? 
if I don't act most urgently. But there's ethical concerns because you could extrapolate to that and say, okay, we're not going to treat anybody who tried to commit suicide because they brought it on themselves. Damn near every injury I've ever suffered, I've brought on myself through my own stupid opinions, through my own. Hold on, here's something. The own ridiculousness. I see you, though. Um, if you do not see me, chances are you may have multiple screens. And I might uh, no, be behind I've, something. I've got a, um, a wonderful thing that my employer installed that just when it flips up, it discombobulates everything. It's telling me there's an update. Why the hell do they tell you it's an update in the middle of the workday? I mean, they, they're going to do it anyway. Yeah. They're going to do it in the middle of the night anyway. Do you want to do it now? Yeah, I want to tell my boss. I didn't get anything done today. Yeah. Update. <laughs> Surprise, your update had a, a consequence you did not <laughs> did not intend for. But let's let's bring this back to to where we started. Yeah. Safety person that is not enforcing mandates. Now there are a couple of things that, that people don't get. I used to work in healthcare and it was a faith-based healthcare system. Well, Michigan passed a law, I think it was a law, it might have been an accreditation thing, where the accrediting body said you had to get, if you were working, if you're patient-facing, they call it, you had to have a flu shot. So I worked in, um, my job was to work with, they had two convents combined. The youngest of them was 78. They wanted very desperately to preserve their culture, which was they would have these beautiful hospitals and they would bring in the wealthy in the front and charge them the max and they bring in the poor uh, from the in the back and they would benefit from the that. So they were, you know, they were they weren't collecting a profit, but they were making sure everyone was getting equal medical treatment despite what they could afford. Yeah, that's a good way of doing it. And they really want to do this, but they realized that the youngest person was 78 and they're going to die. And then, so they combined their their two convents and we had to combine a hundred, the way a hundred hospitals do business. So we had the Unified Revenue Organization because you don't need a hundred ways of approaching accounts payable. A hundred different, you know, spreadsheets of who owes yeah, what. Yeah, yeah. So you centralized. I was, and I was, a, yeah, we centralized, but I was a liaison between these mercenary um, consultants from the big consulting houses and the hippie commune that was talent development. So my group. And I spent all day in meetings and people asked me what my job was. I said, I go to these meetings and if somebody says, we're going to do that. I said, like hell you are, that's ours. And if somebody tries to <laughs> I said, like hell we are, that's yours. And it was all day long. So, um, but, so they had this, it's a law. If you have a choice, if you work, now I would occasionally have to go to the hospital to do um, 
for meetings or to conduct training on things that we pulled together. And so I had to get a, a shot, a flu shot for free. Three hour, it was a three hour wait in line. Three hours. For three hours for a free shot. And I'm paid for it. I was delighted. I wanted to get to, I wanted to get one a week. I didn't have to go to meetings. I didn't have to go to meetings. I said, yeah, you know, there's a three hour wait. And, uh, Did you bring like your, your, uh, your, your pad and watch some movies and just hang out? No, no, no. I I just was, I sat there praying that I wouldn't get the flu, uh, waiting in line. But so one person, one person was complaining. We had a bunch of people, and it's not, it's that fear of the vaccine. It wasn't back then. It wasn't a fear of the vaccine. These vaccines had been around forever. It wasn't political. It was people not wanting to get a shot. The shots hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, it variety of reasons. They, you know, they scared of needles, all kinds of things. But one person was particularly belligerent. Now, our group was near HR, and she's screaming, "This is supposed to be a religious organization. Do you think Jesus would force his apostles to get um, vaccinations?" And so I was walking by. I said, "No, he just lay hands on him and heal him. Doesn't do that." <laughs> not oh only. yes, he dropped the bomb on that one. <laughs> not, not nice. that one. You're in charge of making sure as people come in, you lay hands on them. Now, which would you prefer, a shot in the arm or spend it all day laying your hands on sick people? There so, you go. I mean, this is this is because people are blaming politics on this, but there are some people who believe the earth is flat. There's some, and let's 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 deal with it a little bit deeper. I mean, I've had some fun at people's expense because that's what I do. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about um, the reluctance of the African American community, which is big in Detroit, to get vaccinated. Well, hell, look at the Tuskegee experiment. Yeah. I think most people know about that, but for the younger people coming up. They let people, after they knew they had an effective, quick, easy way to cure syphilis, they let a group of black men die of syphilis. That's the U.S. government, your taxpayer, tax dollars, hard at work. Why did they do it? To see what would happen. With the placebo. You know what happened? Died. Yeah, with the placebo. Yeah, if we don't treat it, what will happen? They knew for... 300 years, what would happen? But they wanted to see, there, there's no, that's unconscionable. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who don't trust the government. Well, um, it's more than that too, because in, in especially with the African-American community, there's been so many different areas that the system has let us down in, yeah. even when it comes to, um, uh, 
let's say you're, you're going to try to get screening for some sort of uh, medical care. There's things baited. It's just baked into the medical system from the early years that says, you know, the, the, the black person has, uh, has thicker uh, cells. So therefore they could restand pain a little bit more. So now we could do these medicine or these, these uh, experiments on them because they have a higher threshold of pain and no, <laughs> it's straight bullshit. And then there's a whole bunch all the things that they would do and the system just kept failing kept failing so that's why in the medical system even down to you know who's going to go in first to get the triage treatment you know you might look at you know the melon of your skin <laughs> to figure out which one who's getting seen first <laughs> well well i'm i gotta give you a, one of the philisms that i have used many times when when i would make a complaint at my job and they said you know, Phil, I don't know what to tell you. That guy does that to everybody. And I shot back, and this has happened numerous times. I said, you know, when I was a kid and a bully would beat the hell out of me, I didn't give a shit that he was beating up other kids. I wanted him to stop hurting me. Yes. And so let's say, let's assume that that, that wackadoodle idea of thicker cells means that you can withstand more pain. It doesn't mean you want more pain. I think you know, yes. I mean, it's, it's, it's a ridiculous thing. But that is something that goes on in this country. And yes, there are certain things that the government has to keep secret. There's many things. Uh, I used to work. Now, this will scare the bejesus out of people. I used to work as a security guard at uh, the Fermi nu- nuclear plant, Fermi 2. Wow. And... I had information about where guards were posted, protocols, how things uh, would work. And if I was, I signed a paper that said if I divulged any of that, even accidentally, I was guilty of treason. I was forced to sign a confession for a crime, but yeah, yeah, especially now, you don't want terrorists getting a hold of that information. Oh, no. But at the time, nine eleven, I quit because it just seemed like I was working in a prison, and they were going to load the the rods, and it was going to be active, and um, I I just didn't want to do that the rest of my life. I mean, that it was very a lot of pressure, and I'm not the most precise guy. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, you want to be precise in that. You know, you don't want to miss any chain link fence that's been cut. <laughs> you, want to, you want to make sure everything is nice and safe. And it's quasi-military. So let's, you know, there, I won't give any of the particulars, but I was in a truck and I had to watch this area. And I wanted to know why I couldn't just park the truck at that, that area. Because they had identified it as a potential weakness. Well, can't you park the car, the truck there? Go do something else. Take the keys with it. We have cameras on it. You know, I mean, it's yeah. That, yeah, they 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 don't want out of the box thinkers in that kind of thing. They want yes, sir. I will sit here. I will stay awake, and I will watch the hell out of that spot. Excellent. So we'd have. We'd have to do these logs. This is just basic security. So I'd always put in five-minute increments. 
no activity at this time. And, <laughs> and I would put, I would, everyone would put in like five minutes. And I would ask one that. <laughs> Your pencil whipping it. My, 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 my uh, record was 88 pages. Oh, wow. But I saw a cat. There was no oh. cat. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's great. Now, you, uh, for your, your writing and your career, I, I'm, I'm like you, but not, not like in any kind of scale like you have. But when I first started writing, I was writing um, technical things for journals and wastewater journals. And that's another one of my hats. I'm a wastewater operator. And I was writing for a couple of different journals at the time. And then I, what? I'm a wastewater creator. Oh, yes, that's right. You you make it, I treat it. <laughs> okay. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, we got it. Before it got to you, I went through a lot. It, it went through a lot. Uh, a lot of mileage. <laughs> so with the technical writing, you uh, you end up having to, to really think things through. And for journal writing, when you're you're getting peer reviewed and everything else, you know, I'm, I'm one of these APA writers and I, I, I write everything in APA with my bloom taxonomy as I'm looking for my objectives to make sure at the end, the objectives I can match and, and make sure that when I say the person can describe something in the beginning, at the end, when I'm checking their learning, they're going to describe what my, what my objectives is, you know? Uh, so in those cases, and when we're thinking of that, uh, that is the structure side of writing. And then when you get into the creative side of writing, when you're uh, trying to do information that you provide, and I believe you're using medium as, as your, your, uh, your outlet for, um, for your, your blogs, uh, the authority no. project. Or... No, I, I, right now, I'm my publisher is Mariah Publications. So that's where my books come from. My blog is on WordPress. That's completely me. Then um, I entered uh, the uh, four contests that they did. I didn't even place in the top. I had 10,000 entries and I didn't even make the top 9,900. And, uh, so naturally, I think it's a lame piece of shit. But uh, um, Authority Magazine is a feeder uh, to Drive Global. Uh, okay. And so when you see the series, it's usually one that I either wrote the question. I write most of the questions, but my my editor is a really, for lack of a better term, just a sweet guy. He's a he's a. He wants to, he wants people to feel good after they've read these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but he likes my edge to the questions. So that's a that's a good thing. Now, medium. Sorry for calling you a lame piece of shit. Um, but, uh, but damn it, would have killed you to give me. They had honorable mention. No, no prizes. They could have. I, I've written oh, yeah. nearly. A pieces of work for them for free well wow. that's not true it's by by how many people how many subscribers read it and uh i've i've seen um well into low two figures a month in money i mean 17 dollars that's wow. that's righteous all right but uh, two figure man all right, right. <laughs> but uh, ball in uh, 
but uh, uh, authority, it's it's just a great craft. But it's taught me that some of the people in the highest held positions in the world can't follow simple directions. Um, I'm ready to slap a couple of uh, of uh, publicists because they'll go, they'll change the questions. I had one series. The series was Women of the C-Suite. Now, there's two criteria there. One, you're a woman. And then you're a top-level executive. Yeah, you're a a C-blank-blank, C-E-O, C-I-O, whatever. So this guy sends in a response where he just changed it Every question, what's it like to be a woman in in a predominantly a, a population predominantly populated by men? He just changed that. What's it like to be a man working the C-suite? And so I said it wow. to my publicist. I, I rejected. I said rejected. He's not an executive nor a woman. Wow. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Most of the people have, you know, they'll get a mistake here or there. I don't, that doesn't bother me. Who am I kidding? It bothers me. But um, because I've I've got, if they change the format, I get to go back in and change it all back so that I can submit it. So the best thing is I get them and I literally have nothing to do except add my uh, uh, author's uh, bio and I send it in and it grinds it through the machine and and they're terrific to work with and I've met a lot of very cool people uh, doing that and it's 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 well worth it and almost all of the stuff that I write they submit to Thrive Global which opens it up to an even bigger audience to take these things more serious. Medium is more of a more of a you you write for their blog yeah and i don't think there's much vetting that goes on um but but they're a wonderful magazine they're like boys life for (laughs) grown-ups that's great now another have you ever thought about why how weird it is that boy scouts of america are essentially training tomorrow's serial killers you know, they, they, they issue you a knife, they give them an axe, they teach them to navigate in the woods, to dig, they give them a shovel, teach them how to tie knots. <laughs> give those Eagle Scouts a panel van, you got your, you got your head bump. <laughs> panel van with a track. You need a track in there. <laughs> exactly. That is complete. And a little helter-skelter, too. <laughs> I was never a Boy Scout because I didn't want to be called a weebolo. I just saw way too much potential for teasing. Oh, yes. Um, so I, I wanted that axe and I wanted that knife. Oh, man. Uh, I had another one of these questions on your um on your, your writing. Cause since you, you've got the books and everything and I like your style, first of all, on, on your covers where you, you got the, um, 
the panel with the name running off the side with the different colors, but it's all solid with uh, the uh, white legend. And then uh, then the picture, there's always that that one little picture that's going to you know, capture you, you know, the bloody hand or the guy tying the shoes or uh, or at least the gun pointing at you. You know, <laughs> you've got all those. Are you doing that, too? Or is that just part of the publishing and just write it and they, they figure out that part? Uh, no, that's I wanted a family of books. I wanted people to be able to look at one of my books and know that it was the same. Um, so the 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 band, each one has a different color, my name. And the fir- the first version, they wanted the title up the side. And I said, you know what? More people are going to write, read the book because I wrote it than they are because of the title. Uh-huh. And uh, I sent a markup that I had done, kind of a mock-up, I should say, that I'd done in, in Power, uh, excuse me, in uh, Photoshop. And that's not a paid endorsement. Photoshop, if you think it is, you better send me a check. And more than $17, damn it. That's chump change. I a lot of money. triple figures. Nothing. Triple figures. You go to Wendy's, you go to Wendy's with seventeen dollars. You come home with two sandwiches and disappointment. <laughs> Sorry. So, so I I mocked it up what I wanted, and the only thing they changed on the first one, I had actually taken a picture of my work shoes, and they found a stock photo of that, and all the others I've done myself, but then my publisher cleans them up um, okay. because I said I'm out of detail. Um, person and um, but yeah they uh, I run it by them and ask their opinion and um, and there's one thing I would like to address if I could I'm when I write my first one okay there some of these are almost embarrassing because they have so many typos now I don't mind typos in general because it really gets under the skin of the uptight academic safety people. And until you get under somebody's skin and get away from their logical wall of, of pompousness and hit them at a visceral level, they can't, I mean, they, we've done magnetic, magnetic, uh, magnetic imaging that shows that what we think our logical decisions are actually created in the part of the brain that is that covers that and creates emotions. Yeah. So unless you hit an emotional level and I get them a little bit off their game, get them a little edgy mm-hmm. um, and me saying something they can, you know, put their finger on, on it and say, well, I disagree with this. If I assert something, but if I use there versus there, I don't do it deliberately. But they made it clear, my publisher and my publicist said, no, no one can edit your books. And I said, well, it needs that. So, nope, we need it to be that stream <laughs> of consciousness. You know, you cut out in the middle of a sentence and move on to a different topic. We want that. And I said, okay. And I cheated a little, did some self-editing. Then the second one, uh, Lone Gunman, 
there, I've caught some things in there that I wish weren't in there. Um, you know, just typo kind of stuff. Um, in blood in my, uh, pocket, I had my daughter who is a professional, uh, editor edit it for me. Oh, nice. And she's fantastic, but she also gets, well, she said to me once, you know, you can be really hard to follow. <laughs> and she said, well, we could be watching a nature program on TV about cheetahs. And you'll say, you'll look over at me and say, you know, I don't really like pie. And I'm thinking, okay, how did we get from what, from <laughs> the fact that the cheetah, now I can tell, you know, people ask me and say, well, that made me think of this, which 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 made me think of this. So I said this, yep. but, but I do it in a split second. She goes, sometimes I can connect the dots. Other times I just walk away. So oh, yeah, um, my wife and daughter tell me that my son all the time. I do the same exact thing. And uh, the reason is, is I, I may have just a trigger that I don't know what it is. Just some trigger got me going, even the smell. And then all of a sudden what blurred it's out my mouth it has no context. <laughs> yes, exactly. It, Sheldonism, she calls it. it. <laughs> yeah, I, I have people who collect philisms. I used to have a client, a whole book of my daughter. My daughter collects things that I say for they were going to be uh, for my uh, uh, the the biography she wants to write about me, um, and then it was going to be um, chapter titles. And now she said, now I should just put this just in out of con no context, just things that you've said. Uh, yes, tell her to read if she hasn't already the Matthew McConaughey book. Uh, he, it's called um, Green Lights. It is written like that, and uh, and it's even the audio book is 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 him doing it, and it's phenomenal. But the way she's the way you're describing what she wants, Matthew McConaughey Green Lights. It's an amazing book. Yeah. I read it in one day. That's great. I'll check it out. I have not seen that, but so yeah, so. Hold on, yeah, hold on. Before you go on, uh, that that how does that make you feel? Your daughter actually going to do a biography of you? That's that's got to be good. She'll never do that. <laughs> that's just her, that's her way of encouraging me to die. <laughs> <laughs> how about just an inheritance again? <laughs> that's why I always tell people that uh, um, I have the best insurance against identity theft. No one wants to be me. All that gets you is debt and ass beatings. You're for the new Like what you wrote. Uh, I don't have a problem with somebody stealing my identity. Oh, yes. That's true. And you've been so, you've been everywhere. I mean, everyone sees you and so, so many different things and congrats on the 1% that that whole thing being part of that is, is truly amazing, you know, uh, and that's 1% safer.com for those of you that are looking it up. And uh, of course, for Phil LaDuke, you're going to go to Phil LaDuke dot wordpress.com. And, uh, and that's where you're going to get his blog as well. But I mean, just get my book on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, Amazon and Barnes and but, Noble, both. But go, to if you are in the US, go to the US one. 
uh, if you're in Australia, go to the Australian one because otherwise they print them like all through Europe. They print them in London. Amazon does. And then they charge you the shipping. Um, and it's outrageous. It's like my wow. might be hardcover would be $29 here and it's 130 there. Dang. And that's for shipping. Wow. That's, oh yeah. But, uh, is that because of the, the cruise, the ship in the Suez Canal <laughs> and getting stuck? Did that somehow make your book go up? <laughs> that, that, uh, uh, if my books were on there, that's probably the cause of, uh, of the national, but, uh, um, but you, you were going to ask something about the book, uh, besides, and then you put the plug in and I derailed everything. No, no, no. Actually, I was just, um, for just, just the, the idea truly from, from what I'm seeing here is, as the series, as you like it, I, I like that idea. I love also the fact that the branding, we could tell that it's, it's you, um, how easy was writing this up, uh, next one. And is the next one, the, uh, I know my shoes are untied, mind your business. Uh, that's the, that's, that's actually your first, your second one, right? That was my first one. The first one. Um, so what are you naming the new one? Is that the blood in my hands is your new one? No, that's, that's been out. You know, it takes a genius to release one at the beginning of pandemic because, uh, you know, people are, are hoarding toilet paper. How stupid are people where they can't find something to wipe their ass with? I mean, I get it. If there's a shortage of razor blades and you want to, you want to, um, but you know, <laughs> toilet paper, yeah, hoard toilet paper. I'm not There's, hoarding anything that I'm not going to be able to sell used. And nobody, and I mean nobody, you want to be meeting at a police station uh, Craigslist exchange wants to buy used toilet paper. Not on the list, brother. <laughs> <laughs> that is not there. So what is what? the name? Please forgive me. I, I, I should have known that. No, no. The, the, um, the two books that are coming out, the one that's kind of made out next is it was going to be an expansion of Lone Gunman. And I'm of the opinion that people don't buy things they can get for free and don't repack the same crap and call it something new. So I compromised with my publicist and said, I will expand Lone Gunman. And it's called work life, work home life imbalance. The location has changed, but the violence remains the same. And I'm really excited about this book. Usually I'm not what I would call excited about the book. I'm excited for the first 15 minutes. And then it's like, shit, I got to write a book. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it's like, I got to sit down. I got to write this one. Um, a good friend of mine uh, who I went to high school with was um, um, a section chief of the, in, in the FBI. Uh -huh. in, in my research, I found that uh, workplace violence is usually an outgrowth of domestic violence. So I sent it to a friend of mine and I said, what needs to change on this? And he said, uh -huh. you're chicken out. You chicken out on the gun issue. Now, I grew up on a farm. I uh, 
I am pro-gun ownership. I don't own guns. But I don't own emus either. But if you like emus, as long as it's consenting emu, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. But if you, want, if you like emus and you want to own an emu and it's not hurting anybody else, God bless you. Um, so anyway, he is he was a lifelong member of the NRA and splintered off um, is now on the board of a pro-responsible gun ownership. And so really he turned like me on to a bunch of facts. For instance, these were um, these aren't conjecture, it's not Facebook. These were scholarly journals where I've got these things. Um, it blew my mind that 51% of mass shootings, 51, 5-1%, so more than half, have a specific target in mind when they start the shooting. Even if they go and they shoot, you know, 35 Bystanders. feet. Bystanders. Yeah. specific person. Oh. And they don't know why. Because they, 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 I was speculating that maybe it's death by cop, suicide by police. Um, but of that 51%, they're estranged spouses or girlfriends, and it's almost always a male shooter and either Email. a boyfriend, you know, with this. And so, so I, I write a chapter about the relationship between mass violence and I, I tapped into my uh, friendship and sent out a list of questions of all these things. Now, uh, the other, the FBI chief and um, we're, there's going to be a section on violence in healthcare. There's going to be a section on the gig economy. What does that mean when employers no longer feel and are no longer required legally to keep their workers safe. What, what does that mean? But primarily the, the biggest um, uh, focus that's going to be new is how the hell do you protect somebody who's working at home? I mean, and there are good ways to do it. Now I noticed that there were a lot of other a lot of the sections will remain the same because they haven't changed. Like how do you interview somebody and find a psychopath or somebody with a hot trigger? Yeah. Um, how do you recognize the sign of somebody who is uh, a woman who has been suffering uh, from domestic violence? Um, like anything else in, in safety, this should be 90% of our effort should be on preventing. And the dumbest advice. Well, the dumbest advice I ever received was from my mother. When I was, I had just graduated high school. She said, you should go into CAD. <laughs> All she knew about CAD, uh, computer assisted uh, design. All she knew about that was it was something to do with computers. Barry said, I'm not a precise guy. We've <laughs> talked about my typos through most of this. And she wants me writing code. Okay, so that's the worst. The second is, if you get involved in a gun 
um, uh, I don't like to call them mass shootings, workplace violence, because a, a mass shooting, somebody works there. If you've got a concert, they have employees. I mean, they, you know, you can't qualify. But I found this one. I was trying to find the first case of a mass shooting in the U.S. 1760. Wow. And back then, they used to call them rampage killers. Really? And that's what I like to refer to them in the book as rampage killers. So a rampage killer... It, it, it's a personality style. I mean, I, people people either kill someone or they don't. Now, everybody is capable of killing someone, but there's a special breed that that decides to load up the gun and yeah, and execute. So, so they get yes to execute. Then comes loving an addict, and it's going to detail what families go through, family perspective. And I didn't want to rewrite um, Dreamland, which is a great book on how the opioid epidemic was aided and abetted by the pharmaceutical company and the government, and et cetera. But, and it's a great read. I recommend it. But what mine is going to be is personal accounts of a person who got clean. She said, I'll never get sober. Because it's just too much to try to get clean and sober. Couldn't deal with life. She was diagnosed as having CPO, uh, CP, CP, whatever. But she thought she was lung cancer. She thought she had months to live. So she decided to go back and try heroin. She wasn't going to do it full time. She went back to the dose that she used to use. She immediately hit the floor. Her dealer and her boyfriend left her there for 12 hours without calling for aid. And even though, you know, people would say, hey, are you still friends with her? I said, if I was friends with her, I'd stay married to her. It was 30 years. The bygones be big bygones. She remarried, redivorced. Now I had a boyfriend. Someone else's problem. But, you know, when I'm watching the news, and it's, oh, the, you know, unidentified torso of a white woman was found in Detroit. Then I'm thinking, oh, God, is this where I get the call? So I finally got the call. I, I, my girls couldn't handle it. So I had to go down and claim the body. And it's not like on TV where they lift a sheet and it's, they show you like um, the dead bodies they took of uh, the old West gunfighters. And you have to say, that's them or that's not. So um, it's a miserable, but it affected me a lot more than I thought it would. Um, so that will come out after this. I've got it about half written. It's just. Um, you got to go through all emotions again. So this might be really, really hard. And then if you're thinking about how much to protect people versus not, and that's got to be all considerations going through this type of writing and this type of personal style. Well, I intend to fully, uh, I fully intend to name her dealer in that. Let him sue me. He's got to, he's got to come to court. He's probably got a dozen warrants out on him. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, they do put him in jail. I'll buy a carton of cigarettes for, for the first ass beaten and supply the, the 
the biggest, ugliest, mean, meanest, most violent offender I can find in there and keep them in cartons of cigarettes while, while he enjoys his day. There's I always just, a thing with jailhouse justice, isn't there? Yeah, there, there, no one should have been just treated like that. Like a piece of trash. So they could continue to party. And that actually, um, one of my um, uh, friends early in my junior high school years, actually from uh, junior high school going into high school, uh, she was found that way. And uh, and this was in the 80s in New York. And uh, and she was found in one of those uh, uh, drug dens, I guess it was, and they left her. So I I, I understand that one. Yeah, it's just, you know, you don't have to have a a personal, you know, strong, you know, uh, attachment to the person to recognize that that's a human being that was thrown away like trash. And, and so, yeah, there's going to, there's going to be something. And this is something I, I pushed back. I didn't want to write. Um, but I've become the author that talks about things that people don't want to talk about it because I believe, if we don't talk about it, nothing ever changes. And I love this country. I love my community. But that doesn't mean I don't think that there's weird ways and places that it could improve. I love safety. That's why I push back so hard. I mean, the uh, what I do now is so much more interesting than ants. You know, I... I work on a movie. Once that movie's gone, so is that job. So I can just push that aside. Everything's better in retrospect. Yeah. And it's like. Now, are you no, working the full spectrum on the movies? Are you there like um, like for any type of movie? Do you get consulted for or because I know there's um, uh, the adult movie industry needs safety quite a bit for especially uh, bloodborne pathogens and, and a, a few other obvious reasons. Yeah, uh, but. If you're a male adult film star, you don't want to, to get too close to the the clapboard. Um, <laughs> Pro tip: <laughs> don't get too close to the clapboard. And they they call it a clapboard for a reason. Uh, but, um, I I work for a studio. Um, I'm contract. I'm on contract for uh, safety. I typically get called in for to solve problems so um i'm like batman i wait around for them to make a call and say you know i fill in it's not all it's not all bad stuff i fill in for people who are taking vacations my colleagues on the team will take vacations i'll fill in for them i do a lot with documents but yeah um I could be working. I do. I do more action films than what they call walk and talks, where you know you've got Woody Allen and somebody walking down the street in New York. Oh yeah. I don't. I, I do get involved in if if there's issues or it could be personality issues. It could I potentially get involved in those. Um, prior to this situation, I got the reputation of being the cooler and you know i'm the guy who comes in and cools people out so when i was working for other production i was uh a partner in a global consultancy 
and more and more of my work was in Hollywood. And as I did the work, they would say, you know, this, this person is a bit of a pill. Can you come in and cool this guy out? Do you mind working with so-and-so? How about, have you ever worked with this person? It's like, yeah. So, um, it's for me, it's easy. And this is something, a lesson that I think every safety person should take with them. And it's, it's this, you come in and tell me, don't do that. You're doing that wrong. I'm telling you, if you do that, that way, then the, the person just looks at him and said, what, you don't know what I do. I've been doing this for 20 years. If there's a better way to do it, I'll hear it. But don't tell me I got to do this. Cause I, you know, I, I like to say, all I got to do is, is die. People used to say, all you got to do is, the only thing sure in life is death and taxes. But after the Waco storm in Waco, now I know. All you got to do is die because if you don't pay your taxes, I pay taxes specifically to send guys in to kill you. Pay your fair share. You go. So. All right. Sure now. <laughs> wouldn't necessarily agree with that. I was about to but say you know, now well, you should give the, the email for, for all those letters that are going to come in. And, <laughs> and, uh, Usually I, I write right on my income taxes. Please use these taxes to do construction on I-75 through Ohio. And, you know, I mean, what's the point of paying taxes if you can't specify how you want them used? Yeah. And then I also uh, like name it while they know right there, name it for you. <laughs> and I, I also like to pay strangers not to grow high. Think of how powerful we are as a nation where we can, we the people, we own this stuff. We own aircraft carriers and nuclear missiles. We, we are so stinking rich that we can pay strangers hundreds of miles away not to grow rye. Think about that. Can't do that if you're, if you're in, in uh, Ghana. Yeah. You, you, you got rye? You know, I mean, we're, we, we're so wealthy, we're so spoiled that we're stomping our feet over a vaccination. And yeah, well, we're so wealthy that we we have water to rinse our dishes before we put it in the dishwasher. That's how rich we are. <laughs> yes, I was in Mexico. I spent uh, um, one week a month for eighteen months going to Saltillo, uh, Mexico, which is the Detroit of of mexico why anybody would aspire to that i don't know but uh but uh my friend jesus which i would always refer to him as jesus and i would say you know i'm going to mexico i'm going to see jesus and i hope i'm talking about a fat mexican guy um, <laughs> but he before you have all your enraged uh um um uh, fans or calling or writing you about making fun of our Lord and Savior. When I told them how squeamish that made people, because they'd correct me, no, it's Jesus. So no, it's Jesus. If I said uh, Joseph, 
you wouldn't say no. It's it's you know your stuff. So, you know you, you don't correct people for that. You know, but so anyway, I told him that, and he laughed, and he said, in Mexico, you won't see you don't see people who abbreviate Christopher to Chris because Chris means Christ, and there were many. Uh, there were many, and there's many Christophers, but there was only one Christ. And I thought, that's good enough for me. But I never told those people that. Because uh, that, well. but, that makes sense to me. Yeah, it makes a hmm. lot of sense. And usually, you know, that's, I used to teach a class in diversity. And boy, that was fun. I would, I would put, all blanks are blanks. Uh, that is like putting it right on the T. <laughs> filling, filling that blank. And everyone was afraid to say anything. Somebody yes. finally said, all, all blondes are dumb. I said, nope, that's a cop out. Give me one that you're afraid to Give say. Give me a good one. <laughs> somebody, said, somebody said, all Polish people are stupid. Okay, and uh, and I, I would never ask people if they believe that or not. And finally, I said, "How many of you have heard that?" Well, everybody had heard that, and um, they would say, "I would say, well, why, where, why do people think Polish people are stupid? Does anybody know the reason that stereotype came?" was in World War II, the Germans invaded Poland. They wiped out, the, the Polish army was antiquated, they wiped that out, wiped out their um, their militias, they, right down to this, and the Polish people were in the streets throwing rocks at tanks and getting machine gunned down. Now, what was a act of complete defiance and bravery walking into certain death because you will not tolerate being dominated by this foreign force. The Germans look to see it. Look at how stupid they are. They know they're going to die, but it wasn't. And then we got into some more uncomfortable areas. What, where does the stereotype that black people like watermelon come from? You know? I uh, do not. When you have a cotton field, you have forced labor, you have slaves, and you might have a couple of hundred slaves in the hot sun working. How do you get water to them? So you it's for relief. Take that. So you would take watermelons, throw them off the back, and they would get thirsty, eat watermelon. Well, visitors would come and they'd see all these slaves and with big hunk of watermelon smiling. It wasn't about liking watermelon, it's about disliking dying of dehydration. Oh yeah. But once you once you take the hmm. origin of that and you dissect that stuff and tear it apart you start to get it releases the venom 
that that holds. You'll never think of a Polish person or a without that story. Yeah. Without that story of bravery and courage. And I mean, the the stereotypes, you you tear down the stereotype. People ascribe stuff to it. And, and I said, you know what? I'm giving you guys a great gift and I'll give it to everyone out that's listening right now. You have the absolute unequivocal inalienable right to hate whoever you want. You can despise them. You can not want anything to do with them. But as with every right, there's a catch. You don't get to drag that trash into the workplace. You don't get to drag that trash into public meetings. You know, I hate someone, hate someone, but you don't get to act on that hate. You want to hate me? Hey, the proudest thing I've ever accomplished in my professional life was when a uh, paranoid schizophrenic from Australia, well, I finally had to block, um, said that he had my picture as his screen background um, because I reminded him of a high school teacher that he hated. <laughs> wow. I can't think of any, anything greater than that. You know, I mean, mm. and, and at least one guy halfway around, I have a guy halfway around the world that's got impacted him. Computer because he hates me. Yeah, that's, that's an impact. It's a lot of energy. It takes a lot of more energy to get someone halfway around the world to hate you. And you've come up. You've, you've come up in the world. You've got, you got haters on the other side of the world. You know, that's how you know you've made it. That's when you made it. Uh, or I, uh, your celebrity gets with murder, and I'm not going to, to – I'm not going to feed into the Alec Baldwin thing here. I'm going to give you an example of a celebrity who got away with murder. Robert Blake. Oh, Beretta. Yes. In the parking lot of a restaurant. His alibi was he forgot his gun in the restaurant and went back and to retrieve it. In effect, his alibi was I couldn't have committed this crime. I am too stupid. Now, if you or I had done that, we would be in jail. I, I've said it before. I'll say again, the hardest part of getting away with murder is luring your victim to Los Angeles. Because it just seems like they've blown some pretty big calls. Yeah, no kidding. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I do remember that. You gotta hand it to them. though. You get, you, somebody gets you gotta get off, let them off when they when they have the cojones to come in and say, "Hey, look at me. I'm stupid. I'm a failure." And the lawyer was able to pull it off. <laughs> I I was Beretta. <laughs> Who doesn't like Beretta? Beretta wouldn't kill anybody. Got the parrot. <laughs> <laughs> the cockatiel. That's what it was. The white cockatiel. Oh, yeah. 
So tell everyone how to get to you, man, and 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 when to when to look out for the book. Um, the book I hope to have uh, um, to press by uh, the end of the year. Um, I'll I'll be. I don't know why I'm, I'm a, I would probably sell more books if I promoted them, but, um, well, I tried to, I, I did a book reading on lone gunman here. It went over really well. So I was headed down to new Orleans to do a VPPPPPA um, conference, another P in there. Anyway, yeah, uh, yeah. conference. I was there that I year was, in new Orleans. I spoke at that one. Uh, yeah, like 2017 ish, 2018 ish. Yeah. 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 I remember that one. So I, I was speaking, I, I they gave me, um, <laughs> they, I did two speeches for them and one of them, I gave out copies of my book, um, just for a reference, but, um, I called, I had my publicist call the, national bookstore with a brick and mortar one that I will not name, but you can probably figure out um, and said, Hey, why don't I do a book event while I'm here? The guy laughed at my publicist and said, our our readers don't go in for that sort of thing. (laughs) While we were down there that weekend, we were down there. Two women were murdered in their workplace, both in, Bar, one was a bar, one was a restaurant. Um, three other people were shot in one case, two others in the other. But they don't go into it for that. Wow. And, you know, so it's hard for me to, to pump up, hey, you should read my books. I don't care if you read my books or not. I write because it's what you I do. Need to get, I, just, I just need to get it out there. And yeah. I like the, the books like... Uh, I know my shoes are untied and um, blood in my pockets. Both those I wrote because I wanted um, a nice place for finding the stuff that's hard to find. Something when they published in a magazine in Australia or something that was uh, uh, that, but I also wrote new material and expanded on that because like I said, I'm not, I wouldn't buy that book and I'm not going to write and try and sell a book that I wouldn't buy, but okay. So you said, um, you said, um, yeah, just had to uh, reach you. Uh, you can always email me at PC LaDuke, L A D U K E at gmail.com. Um, if you search Phil LaDuke with a space, because believe it or not, there's another filled with Duke who writes. He works for Firestone. Um, I'm, I connected with him on LinkedIn. He's a great guy. Oh, that's but people awesome. Can, us, and we are about as opposite as you can get. He's an oh, that's great. And roofing. <laughs> and so I can't imagine. I can't imagine that the the because I was out. You know, they write to me. I knew it was for him, but I, I would copy him on. But I'd always answer it. Oh, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, it's pretty easy that my my um, author page will keep you up on things. My blog is uh, Phil LaDuke. It looks kind of funny because it's all one at WordPress.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm 
I gotta look for the right fellow Duke on LinkedIn. Yeah. He'll, uh, trust me, he'll set you straight. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> you want to talk roofs? We'll talk roofs. They didn't yell at No, no. No, he was uh, a really nice guy. With a good sense of humor, but. Uh, oh, excellent, Paul. Thank you so much for being part of the show. Yeah, go ahead. This program, if you hated anything I had to say, if I offended you in any way, remember, I'm Phil the Duke that works at Firestone, not the guy who look. He's a dick. Yeah, that guy. Come on, I have anything to do with that guy. Oh, man. Oh. Oh, I had a great time. Thank you so much, man. This was fun. Thank you. episode has been powered by Safety FM. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast or broadcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within the past hour are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast or broadcast may be reproduced, stored within the retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast or broadcast, Sheldon Primus.